0: Our scripture this morning comes from Job chapter 1, verses 13 through 20, and then chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It says, One day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the eldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell on them and carried them off and killed the servants with the edge of the sword." I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another came and said, The Chaldeans formed three columns, made a raid on the camels and carried them off, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came across the desert, struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead. I have alone escaped, to tell you. And then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. And then his wife said to him, Do you still persist in your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as any foolish woman would speak. Shall we receive the good at the hand of God and not receive the bad? And in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: It's one of those things we all experience in life. Loss. And if if we're not careful, it can come to define who we are, especially if our loss is deep or tragic. If we're not careful, that loss can define us. It can become even our very name, our identity. In our scripture from Job this morning, uh, Job experienced a great loss. In one day, he lost all of his livestock, all of his possessions, and the death of all of his children. In fact, I wonder if Job was at an AA meeting, if he wouldn't describe himself as, hello, my name is loss. But thankfully, as we read through Job, we see that he did not allow his loss to determine who he is. Now, some of you might remember the heartbreaking story of a family in Kansas. It happened way back in the fall of 2003. It was during flooding there, and uh, a wall of water rushed across the Kansas turnpike and overwhelmed a, a family of six in a minivan. And in an attempt to save his family, the father, Robert Rogers, he kicked out the window, but the, the water uh, swept him away. And his wife and his four kids, aged one, three, five, and eight, all drowned. It was a tragic loss. Regrettably, stories of families perishing in floods, tornadoes, storms, uh, fires, hurricanes, and other disasters aren't that unusual. But in this particular case, the surviving father made some faith statements to the press and to those who were helping him that were quite remarkable. Now, by all reports, this family was a, a loving, faith-filled family, family. And according to a neighbor who was talking to Robert Rogers, uh, as the water rose in the car, the the wife and the father were trying to comfort the kids and uh, they were praying and they were singing hymns. And when Rogers spoke to the press, he stated his deep grief. But along with that, he said these words, God is good and I am not. And I'm here by the grace of God. God is good and I am not, and I am here by the grace of God. What an incredible statement of faith. You know, he was saying that our lives are in God's hands. And as people of faith, when some horrible loss like this takes place, we can take comfort in knowing, in knowing that God is here and he hasn't forsaken us and he is in control and he is still good. It may not feel like that at the time, but it's still true. Now, I don't know about you, but I would struggle with such a great loss. I would struggle with being able to make such faith statements, facing this type of tragedy. But I find myself impressed by what this man said. His words also remind me of the story of the famous hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. You probably know the story, but the words were written by a grieving father, H.G. Spafford, who in 1873 lost four of his daughters in a tragic accident in the Atlantic Ocean. But just a few days later, he penned this great hymn. And we read words like this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me. to to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That's another surprising testimony of faith under the circumstances. Both of these fathers, like Job, uh, suffered great loss, including the loss of their children. Now, Job was a faithful servant of God. And we read in the scripture that uh, he also was prosperous. He had a large family. And in the story of Job, we read that Satan comes to call on God and that Job only trusted God because things were going so well for him. Satan told God, you know, if Job were to lose everything, he would curse you. He wouldn't be so grateful. And so in response, God permitted Satan to do as he pleases. And so all of God's possessions and his children were lost in a windstorm. And Job was devastated. And the sad thing is is that though much of the book of Job uh, throughout is this conversation between Job and his so-called friends. And his friends are not much help. Uh, they, They wanted Job to admit that he had obviously done something terrible, and that's why all this calamity had fallen on him. But Job protested and he said, I can't think of anything that I've done wrong. And that he didn't deserve such trouble. But he did not curse God. But he did want God to explain himself. And if you remember in the story in the end, when God responds, God did not explain himself. But instead, he reminded Job of God's sovereignty, his mighty power, and his actions throughout the world. And in the end of the book, Job replies back to God with humility and trust, accepting that there will not be any explanation. And in fact, Job repents for questioning God. And Job again places his trust in God, even in the face of great tragedy. You know, these three grieving fathers, Job, H.G. Spafford, and Robert Roberts, bring us face-to-face with that question that we probably all have asked at one time or another. Why do bad things happen to good people? It's a struggle for us to understand why. You know, sometimes theologians have depicted this problem, and they've tried to use logic, and they've drawn a triangle uh, and placing a statement in each corner. The, The statements that they make is, God is love. And the second, God is all powerful, but the third is evil is real. And so how can all three of these exist at the same time? It doesn't seem logical. It doesn't seem like this should all exist together. In fact, if God truly loves us and God is all powerful, then there shouldn't be evil, but there is. So that doesn't make sense. Or if evil is real and God is all powerful, then he must not love us. Or if evil is real and God is love, then he must not be all powerful. It's hard to find a, a satisfying answer to this mystery. It's hard for us to understand the logic in that. But one of the things we forget is the free grace that God gives us. But, but here's the thing. When someone is suffering a great loss, they need something other than a logical answer. You know I've done so many funerals over my life, and when I'm sitting with families who are grieving, who have had a tragic loss, they're not looking for theology necessarily. Now, good theology helps, but they're really looking for someone to be there with them, to uh, to respond in a way that is kind. They don't need all the right answers, but they want to know that they're being heard, that they can share their experience with their lo- of with their loved ones, that they know. That others are there to be with them. So, back to the question of of why bad things happen to good people. You know, in someone's struggle to find understanding to this question, it led them to remember that while we often take the word answer to mean an explanation, an answer can also be a response. Thus, while we have no answer to these questions sometimes, we can have a response. What Job got was not an explanation. It was a response from God. I think that's important for us to understand. And men, you might understand this as well. You might be having a conversation with your wife and she's sharing with you a struggle or something that's going on and you respond with a logical answer. And the logical answer doesn't help, does it? They don't want a logical answer. They want to know that you're there, that you're present. You know, what Job got was not an explanation, but it was a response from God. And we can have that as well. We can have a response from God. Robert Rogers, H.P. Spafford, and Job all model the response of faith. Such people who say these amazing things during loss, uh, they leave us puzzled. We wonder if, if we could say the same things after we suffer tragedy? Would we be able to keep trust and faith in God? Would we be able to undergo such a loss and and emerge with our faith intact? But the fact is, most people of faith who undergo trials, who undergo loss, don't lose touch with their faith. And many did discover that it's exactly at that time where their faith helps them, empowers them. It touches their life in a way that they wouldn't understand otherwise. It's during that time of pain and loss that their reliance on God comes to mean the most. So let's look at this matter of a response rather than an answer. What enables us to respond in faith when we have lost someone or or loved someone deeply and have experienced some sort of heart-wrenching loss? One of the things is this conviction that God is good. You know, it's easy for us to say that, especially on Sunday mornings. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. It's easy to say it, but, but sometimes it's harder to believe it. I know in my life, there's been times when I've said it and I've struggled saying it. But even in that time of loss or tragedy, it's still undergirding me. I understand that it's true, even if I don't feel it? Do we believe that God is good even in the midst of great loss? The only way we can say such things is if we put our trust and faith in the name of God and who He is, in His very character and nature. If we trust who He says He is. And that's important. See, I am convinced that greater than the reality of evil is the goodness and mercy of God that brings comfort and peace to our lives. That's not an answer. It's a response. You know, my heart goes out to people like Robert Roberts, uh, Rogers, who started one day with a, a wife and a family and ended the day with none of it was deeply moved though by his statements of faith and, and given what he had lost, I'm sure that his testimony is a puzzle to many people. They don't understand how they could respond in such a way. But I am convinced that he was convinced of God's goodness and was being comforted by God's mercy and grace. And why shouldn't he be? Over and over again in the Bible, we see this continual reminder that indeed God is good, that He is merciful, that His love endures forever. Mercy, goodness, faithfulness, grace, love, they are the defining characteristics of who God is. That's what's in a name, the name of God. That's who he is, the great I am. It means that no matter what our loss, no matter what our circumstance, no matter what our pain, God is good. If we belong to God, then we can expect to be comforted by his goodness, his mercy, his faithfulness, his grace, his never-ending love. God's response to our loss is comfort. We can experience God's comfort and peace through the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. God's response to our loss is that He experienced loss with us. He walks with us. Loss doesn't determine who we are. It doesn't have to determine who we are. Our faith in God determines who we are. As a child of God, we can expect God to be for us. We can expect God uh, to, to know what we need. The great I am, the one who comforts, the one who is present. You know, Job's whole life was changed in the course of just a few hours. He was dazed at the severity of the bad news that just came wave after wave after wave. And what did Job do? He acknowledged what had happened. He did not blame God for the disasters. Instead, he fell on his knees and he prayed. He prayed that his relationship with God would not waver and would not be shaken by these circumstances. That's also what we should do. As he was adjusting to his losses, disaster struck even again. The text says that he experienced sores all over his body, probably some type of leprosy. And it was painful and it was terrible. It was miserable. In fact, his wife even doesn't give him support or comfort. His wife said, Job, how can you stand it anymore? Death would be better. Why don't you just go ahead and curse God? And to add to his woes, Job had to put up with his so-called friends who were trying to give him advice, who were trying to give him logical answers, who were trying to to do all this and forgot his suffering and his pain. They had lost touch with that. But the question, where is God? Psalm 46 one says this, God is our refuge and strength, a help always near in times of trouble. God is help and God is near. While God does not isolate us from trouble, neither does God desert us in the midst of our pain. God is our refuge. A refuge is a sanctuary, a shelter, it's a, a safe haven, a safe place, a home. It's a place of comfort and peace. Throughout the Bible, we we hear of this, especially in the Psalms. Psalm 57 1 says this Be merciful to me, O God. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. Psalm 59.16 says, You have been a fortress for me and a refuge in my day of trouble there's another Psalm, uh, Psalm 46, that I want to highlight. It's the 10th verse, and you've you've probably heard it before. It's what the Lord is saying to a bewildered Jerusalem during a time of loss. It says this, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. But it's at this point in the Psalm that we often hear this 10th verse, kind of cherry-picked from the context of the whole psalm, be still and know that I am God. But in its original context, it's not intended to invoke the quiet, be still and know that I am God. No, it's more of a forcible, be still, be still, know that I am God. It's the same words that Jesus says to the storm when he's in the boat and says, be still and the storm is still. It's a command. He uses that same language when he's casting a demon out. It's not so much a word of calm consolation or gentle persuasion, but the bold, forcible disarming of a world in turmoil and erupting in conflict and disaster. The common English Bible says it this way, that's enough. Now know that I'm God. I'm exalted among all nations. I'm exalted throughout the world. I like that. That's enough. Now know that I am God. You know, God's rule comes in. It crashes around and it sets things right. What a great assurance is ours that however unstable or troubled our world gets, God is going to intervene and set things right. And I praise God for that. We have that promise. We can take great comfort in knowing that that God will work out everything for our good. Why? Because God is good. God takes what is meant for evil from Satan, and he turns it around for our good and for God's glory. When we suffer loss, we can receive comfort from God. Doesn't mean that what we have lost will be returned, but it does mean that in our comfort, we find hope, hope for new beginnings. That's exactly what happened to Job. God responded to Job's questions, and then Job realized that God is sovereign. He came to a deeper understanding of who God is. In the midst of Job's great loss, he found comfort. He found comfort because of God's nature, which is goodness, faithfulness, mercy, grace, and never-ending love. Job's identity wasn't defined by his loss but in the goodness of a sovereign God. That is where Job found his comfort. And God blessed him again with even more children and more possessions after that. But when we look at this idea of loss, that's what's in a name, God's name. God can take away any situation and turn what was meant for evil and turn it into good. Why? Because God is good. All the time. You know, it's hard for us to understand loss, but it's easy to see how God walks with us through loss. That God even experienced loss on our behalf through the death of Jesus on the cross. He changed our identity an identity that we want to define by loss, but we define by resurrection and new life. That's what we have been given. Let us pray. How we thank you, O God, for your name, your name that is good, your name that is holy, your name that is loving. We thank you that no matter what we experience, that nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. We cling to that promise. We put away our identity that says we are a people of loss, and we put on our identity that we are your children, created in your image, and that you will overcome all things in all ways. And we pray in Jesus' holy name, amen. Now, as we go from here today, what are your next steps? Maybe some of you are working through grief and loss. We'll be talking about grief next week. Don't let that loss define you. If you need help, let us know. Let someone else know. Because we are a body of Christ, working together to live out the grace and love of Jesus Christ.